Blog Talk Radio. everyone. Welcome to GTP Keeper Radio. I'm Buddy Buscemi, and it is Sunday, April 8th, 2018, 9 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time for us folks here in the Eastern United States. And I am here with my co-host, Bill Stagel. Bill, how are you? Hey, good, buddy. Happy Sunday. I'm uh, starting to feel sorry for you East Coast guys. I mean, God, when, <laughs> when is it going to let up? When is spring going to arrive? Um, yeah, that's a great question. I think uh, we'll probably go right from uh, winter into summer. That's it's, what it, we're supposed to do in Texas. You're not supposed to do that there. Okay. Yes, winter is hanging on and taking its good old time leaving this year. But, you know, I think back to last year, and we had a very early spring. So, it all okay. averages out, I guess, over the long over the long run. All right, well, very good. Um, yeah, I'm excited about the show tonight. I guess this is our second venture into the European chondro community, right? Um, well, we had the uh, UK guys on who, you know, they like to remind us that they're not they don't consider themselves part of you know, the European <laughs> continent. Um, but yes, this is uh, our second foray. Doing an inter well, actually, our third tried international show. Our first one failed tremendously. Um, the second one went <laughs> off really well, and hopefully tonight we can, you know, relive that well. Uh, the show that went well for us. Um, so yes, this will be our third venture overseas into international nice. listeners. Um, well, so uh, the. The neat thing about uh, doing this show is that we get to see where a lot of our listeners are from. And, you know, surprisingly, there are quite a few people in Saudi Arabia who apparently like our show, Bill. That's uh, that's bizarre. I didn't even know there was a, a, a sizable chondro community in, in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, interesting. We'll have to well, maybe, uh, maybe we capitalize to on that in the near future. <laughs> Well, maybe we need to do a Saudi show. We get could some, get a keeper, get a keeper from Saudi Arabia. That would be great. All right, well, get to work on it. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's going on on your end before we bring Pedro on? Uh, let's banter. Yeah, let's banter a bit. Uh, let's see, hatch quite a few baby chondros this season. Um, I know. How many I clutches? Have, yeah. Three clutches, I mean, so, how many clutches so, so far. Three 
Wow. And one on the way? And one in the incubator, yes. Wow. Well, I know what you're doing uh, on your free time. Yes. Feeding baby snakes. Or convincing them to eat. How many total? Um, right now I'm a little over 30 and, uh, with this, if this other clutch is hatched, I'll be a, close to 50. Good God. So, yeah. That's, that's incredible. And, uh, what are your, what are, what do you think, what are your percentage percentages of red versus yellow in all those clutches? Uh, right now they've been, two clutches have been 50 50 splits, one clutch was about 75% red. Yeah. Very cool. The other clutch and should be 50-50, some... yeah. And, and these, all of these, are they repeat pairings? None. None, really? Yep, none. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. Yep, definitely, for sure. It's always fun to watch, see how they how they progress and you know, you always wonder when you sell an animal, should I kept that, keep that animal back to see how it turns out or send it out? So it's always a challenge of chondros. You don't always know what you're going to get until two years down the road. Yeah. You still have animals for sale? Um, all the animals I had for sale are, go- are sold, and then I'm going to be making some more animals available later in the spring, early summer. I've got to sex out the whole back that I did from last year, and then try to make my final decision whether they're going to stay here or, or go to you. <laughs> you know, I'm happy to take them off your hand. No problem. I know. I know. Do what do you how say, about you? What's going on with your collection? Oh, um, I was going to ask you real quick. What do you say percentage okay. of, of the animals that you sell? How many do you sell um, relatively quickly like once they're well established and you feel good letting them go versus ones that you keep back let's say a year or two years how long are they normally up as being available for sale no how how many i mean like do you sell most of your animals as newly you know newly established babies or would you say you sell most of your animals when they're a year older or older um, I, yeah, that's a great question. I, depends on the, the, the pairing and how much space I have. I, I, ideally I like to hold on to them for at least a little bit, maybe close to a year just to see which direction certain animals are going to take as far as color change. And, um, uh, but I also, uh, you know, don't, don't have plans to hold everything back. So, you know, I kind of make yeah. a decision around the six month mark, and then I then around then is when I kind of put them up for sale. And a lot of that is just really based on the fact that most of my pe- my customers tend to be um, newer chondro people, so uh, feeding response for me plays a huge part in which animals uh, initially are offered for sale, and and, and so uh, that's kind of uh, plays a huge factor in my decision making. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, that that makes sense. I, I think I, you know, 
I'm I'm kind of the opposite of that. I pretty much decide which animals I'm going to hold on to pretty quickly, and then the ones mm-hmm. that I decide uh, that I'm going to put up for sale, um, you know, they, they go up for sale pretty quickly. And I will keep those animals if they if they haven't established that strong feeding response. Then I usually just keep those animals until they do. And sometimes it's a, you know a few months, and sometimes it's six months. Um, but I just I don't know. In my you have a lot more experience than I do looking at babies. But I I just kind of like to pick out pick them out pretty early and decide well these are the ones you know that I'm most interested in seeing what they do. Uh, and, and then, and then the rest, you know, get put up for sale. Right. Yeah. I think, I think your approach is probably, would probably be more appropriate and I should probably think about doing that. Um, but I also have, a, I don't know, I have this, I have a hard time of, you know, letting go of animals, especially when you've never done a pairing before. Um, and you don't, don't really know what the outcome is going to be and, so for me, it's, you know, always want to make sure that I'm keeping back some animals that I think are, you know, are going to be uh, play a vital role in the future of, you know, doing breeding pairings in my collection. Yeah, and I, I don't necessarily know if, if what I'm doing is more appropriate because Marshall Mendez, I think, takes an approach more similar to yours. And I think Dave D does as well and probably a lot of other people. In fact, Marshall told me one time I asked him, I think maybe the second clutch of condors I ever produced, how many should I hold back and how many should I sell? And he says, well, hold them all back. You know, of course you keep right. them all until they change. Um, right. so what I certainly if... have, yeah, I know. I know what you're going to say. Yeah. But <laughs> you got, you, so you sold most of the clutch that sickness came from, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had, uh, I ended up, Initially, I think I kept about maybe four or five of those babies, but I eventually okay. ended up just keeping keeping two. Um, but almost all of them I sold unchanged. Uh, so yeah, some you know, and and sickness was really the only super melanistic animal out of that out of that clutch that that survived. And I killed. That was really that was only you know only my maybe third or fourth clutch of chondros ever. So I, you know, there are quite a few of those babies that didn't make it. So there could have been additional sickness animals in there. Um, but yeah, I did, you know, I picked him out straight out, you know, and he had no plans on him going anywhere from the get go. Right. And what about him made him jump out to you to say this animal staying with me? Uh, Lack of pattern and degree of darkness probably are the, the two things, which I think was what most people look for. Um, and just the fact that he looked, he just looked different. And, and I kept others back that looked different too. I, I tried to hold back a, a variety of differences. And I think I may have even talked to you about it. I, I held back a couple that were super busy patterned, uh, you know, and a couple that were reduced pattern and a couple that were real dark and a couple that were real light. I, I just went to, through the, through the animals and went for extremes and those animals the, the variety in that clutch was tremendous um much more so than the clutch that i had last year which was the uh um son of b uh, jason stevens animal that i bred at blue cyclops 
all those babies looked much more uniform. And so it was, it was harder picking those holdbacks um, than it was in the sickness clutch. Hmm. All of it good stuff. All of it fun. Right. You had a busy Condro day today, didn't you? That was yesterday. Yes, that oh, was that was the yesterday. Repeat pairing. Okay. That was yesterday. The repeat pairing uh, the, of the clutch, the animals that produce the sickness. Uh, that female is a is a Wamina locality type, and uh, she dropped eighteen nice eggs for me, which I immediately posted uh, on one of the Facebook pages because I was so excited about it and um because i to be honest i didn't really expect too much from her i knew that she was gravid but um she's a tail kind of a tail hanger and her posture Mm. just didn't look good and i you know i I was just not real enthusiastic about what would come out of her uh, when it was time for her to lay her eggs but she surprised me and every single one of them was good and so yeah it was a nice surprise nice very nice yeah, it's been uh, – I've had kind of a busy couple of weeks here. You know, the weekend before that, or maybe it's been two weekends now, um, I had a visit, and we talked about this earlier today. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. How, how was, was that visit? It was good. It was um, – so what happened was a friend of mine named Forrest Fanning contacted me about a month ago and said – that his friend, who's Brian Barcheck of uh, BHB Reptiles, was going to be in Texas and wanted to drop by and take a look and do uh, film one of his episodes of the of the video blog that he does um, on YouTube, his YouTube channel it's called Snake Bites. And so, you know, we talked a little bit about this, and and I actually talked to uh, a few other of my friends that I kind of trust my opinion, uh, trust their opinion. And, you know, to be honest, I was a little hesitant to participate um, because although I'd never met or, or spoken to Brian, he's got somewhat of a, I guess, a checkered reputation with some of the reptile community, some of the ball python people and just other reptile enthusiasts in general. And I think that's been because of some of his you know, decisions that he's made and some of his behavior action and, and such. And, right. okay. and so I was hesitant to, you know, to do it because I didn't want the stigma of letting somebody in, you know, and be associated, in, you know, in with somebody that maybe might have a character flaw, like we don't all have those anyway, but, um, right. I, and, and I was speaking to you earlier, you, you know, Brian Barcheck, you've met him before. Uh, yeah, that's right. Um, so, you know, I knew Brian pre-social media, Brian. Um, he was a very regular, uh, he was a regular vendor uh, many, many years ago at the, was pretty much the premier East Coast reptile show, the Mid-Atlantic reptile show, Mars show. Um, him and his wife would come up every year and vend it, and he was just one of those people who you could go to his table and um, he always made time for people. He was very personable, uh, would, you know, answer questions, uh, talk with you about, you know, whatever you wanted to talk about and his animals. And, you know, at that time, um, he was probably, 
had you know the second or third most diverse uh, Python collection in the U.S. and was actually you know producing quite a few number of different species of pythons and that's kind of you know I was interested in pythons at the time and I actually uh, you know picked up some animals from Brian back in those days and you know he was very you know, just uh, what I would consider you know a very nice person who was a pleasure to deal with and you know I've kind of as we had talked about I you you were uh, discussing some of the things that I guess had come to light about Brian which I wasn't aware of because of a lot of stuff I just don't follow on social media um, right you know so you know but I, I gave you my opinion of what I know of him and then actually this past year at Tinley I he was at Tinley and he was checking out my snakes at the uh, at the Tinley show and we just chatted a little bit and I had told you know just said hey you know it's a long a customer a long long time ago of yours and and, yeah. uh, you know, he seemed to be pretty happy that, you know, I had, you know, remembered him and I guess in a good remembered way. Him. Yeah. Right. Well, I think he, he, he would be the, I think the first to tell you and well, cause he told me that, you know, he had made some mistakes in the past and I think he's uh, in a way trying to maybe make some amends. I, I don't really know for sure. It's just kind of what I'm, what I would get out of our brief. You know, I think he spent a couple hours, uh, here he and, and Forrest did, um, but at the time that he was here, he was he was very uh, courteous and he was humble and he he didn't try to you know dictate the video or what we did and didn't shoot. He didn't pretend to be a chondro expert by any means. Um, so you know after the show, I was I was glad that I did it. I, you know I I didn't I hate to judge people based on you know what you hear about them, especially on social media. I mean that's you know that's that that's a tough card to draw and he's got enough scrutiny just on his own. And so I'm glad that I did, you know, let him come in. I'm glad we did the video. And then, you know, we talked about this earlier and, and, and what was the overriding factor of the decision is, is the guy's got a, over a million YouTube followers. And, um, you know, I looked back at the blog that we did and two weeks later, a hundred thousand people had viewed it and there were 800 yeah, it's incredible. There were 800 comments about that video. And, you know, when we started doing this show, how many years has it been now? How many years ago? Five? Four, four years ago? Yeah, four, four. You know, four years. One of our big kind of missions was, you know, why are we going to do this show? And it was to dispel some of the myths associated with keeping green tree pythons. And I just, you know, kind of looked at that as a way to, to present that and dispel some myths to potentially a hundred thousand people that would not listen to our radio show, you know, how great it is, <laughs> but they probably just aren't going to tune into GTP keeper radio, but they, but they'll watch his YouTube channel, you know? Right. Yeah. It was, it, I thought it was a very well-made video and, um, you know, the information was spot on. I mean, and the animals that you, I mean, everything was done well. The, the the animal placement in the background and the animals you had, you know, out when you're actually doing the interview part was you know, was it was uh, definitely done well, and um, it it deserves having a hundred thousand views. Yeah, well, I think he, you know, it, this is what he does. You know, this is this is what he, you know, he does now. I don't think he's involved nearly in much in the animal production and sales. Is he is you know with his with his blog and 
in capturing his audience. So he, you know, he could tell the guys was comfortable and and in filming that. And you know, I'm glad I'm glad he did. I'm glad I did it. Yeah, it was a good video. I liked it. I'm glad I'm glad you did Thank it too. Got got to Thanks. see all your cool condors. <laughs> Some of them. <laughs> all right, but well, not all we of them. For, not all of them. Mm. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I, I open, I open up my room a lot to a lot of people. Um, there's a lot of people that don't like to have people in their, in their facility, their room, or whatever. I, I'm not. I, I have a lot of people that come in there. I'm right. happy to, I'm happy to show people what I have and how I do stuff and all that kind of stuff. Well, we've bantered a long time, 20 minutes for us. You know, that's that's like Eric and Owen territory. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we we got to we we can't meet their threshold. We've got to cut it short that way. You know, we get to the content quicker than those two do. Hell, those two guys could listen to each other, you know, rant and rave for 3 <laughs> hours on their own, you know. That's, they just do. <laughs> Well, uh, I, I feel some budget cuts coming our way. <laughs> Maybe so. Maybe so. All right. So uh, tonight's guest is Pedro Caixina. I believe I'm hopefully pronouncing this correctly. Uh, Pedro is in Portugal. He is a condor keeper. Uh, if you have not seen some of his incredible animals, and we're going to talk about one of those animals later named Mosaic, um, you're missing out on some really interesting and unique-looking chondros that Pedro's uh, keeping in his collection and producing. Not only that, Pedro's been a long-time uh, chondro community member. He's been an active participant on the Morelli Aviridis forums. Um, and uh, he actually came and visited uh, some chondro keepers in the U.S. several years ago. So he can kind of give us some uh, perspective of how things are different for uh, keeping chondros in Portugal and Europe, and as opposed to what he saw here when he was had visited the United States, we often uh, kind of think that our hobby is very uh, North American centric, and um, we have to remember that there are communities elsewhere that keep these animals. And uh, a lot of times, when we talk equipment and husbandry, that we have to remember that uh, what's available to us. Uh, is not available to everyone worldwide. So um, without any further delay, let's bring uh, Pedro on. Pedro, welcome to GTP Keeper Radio, my friend. Hi, buddy. Thank you a lot. I'm You're... really glad for being here talking with you guys. Hi, Pedro. How are you, my friend? Hi, Bill. How are you? Good. What time is it there? In Portugal, uh, two twenty a.m. <laughs> two twenty a.m. <laughs> I and will so... be working. I will be working in less than six hours. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm okay with this. <laughs> it's cool. Did you get a nap? Did you get a nap in today? Yep, yep, yep. I take a All nap right. with my daughter. Really nice snap. All right. Then we're not gonna we're not gonna pull any punches. Then we're gonna give you the full full out uh, guest treatment that we're known okay. to give. Does that sound fair? 
Well, we're we're really glad you're on the show, Pedro. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Have you listened to the show before? Uh, yep, I try to listen as most uh, episodes as I can. Um, that's why I'm so I'm so honored to to be here talking with you. All the all the great names have been have been here and. I'm pretty pretty happy. Awesome, Pedro. Well, thank you again. Maybe let's just start by uh, you can begin by telling the listeners how you were introduced to Condros. Your story is probably going to be different um, just because of where you're located geographically in, in Portugal. So maybe you can kind of begin by telling us some of your background and how you be- became involved with Condros. Okay. Uh, well, um, I remember to see some pictures of green tree, green tree snakes on some books when I, when I was a kid. And I always thought that, that that's, that's pretty cool. I don't remember what species I've seen in that, in that books before, but um, probably chondros or some tree boas, I don't know. But the first contact that I have with with chondros, with a live chondros, was back in 2005 at um, at a friend's house, and I fell totally in love with the species. Uh, it was a it was a small female aru, and I still have one of his daughters today at my collection, so it's pretty cool. So you started keeping them in 2005, and and that was your first animal from your your friend there no, in Portugal. That's, that that no, that female is not mine. It's the first one I saw alive. But I tried. I started ah. to to keep chondros in 2005. Uh, I bought my first chondro in the M show in Germany because okay. here here in Portugal there's there's no one breeding chondros at that time. And okay. to be honest, it's forbidden to keep any voids at that time in Portugal. Ah. We have mm, uh, nice. a law that that forbid that in Portugal. Ah. So I, I bought my first animal in 2005, uh, totally illegal. <laughs> and um, <laughs> it's you um, fit in perfect. A, you fit in perfect with the show, Pedro. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, I, I bought that 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 animal at M, as I as I told, uh, in um, in a stand of a big French importer called La Ferme Tropicale. Um, it's um, it's a yellow biak. They had a, a a huge a huge rack display full of chondros, and I choose oh, that one. I uh, see. And. It turned to be a, a pretty nice female. She was my first breeding female too. And some of the babies that I get in 2017 are their grandsons. So wow. I put oh, nice. my first my first my first animal is in the pedigree of Mosaic's baby, so I'm pretty happy with that. Wow, uh, I didn't know that. Yep. 
So you so purchased it, one con. Yeah, go ahead, buddy. So, Pedro, real quick though, are, uh, I thought I remember a story that you collaborate uh, had a collaboration with a condor keeper here in the states, and you guys were able to kind of get get something changed in Portugal. Is that is that true? Uh, change animals from Portugal to change, to the, change United the laws, States. change the laws of Portugal for bird keeping for uh, keeping condors. Exactly, exactly. Yep, yep. Uh, we made a, a law project. I'm not 100% involved in the in the law project. Uh, okay. Uh, one one good friend of mine called João Monteiro is the the head of that of that project. And uh, it, it, he is a lawyer, and he, he made an, an amazing job. And and the politicians have passed the new law. And right now, and from 2009 to today, uh, we have the we had our, the opportunity to to keep boys, uh, reg, uh, ball pythons. Uh, condros, but some some boys are are forbidden. Uh, Constrictors are forbidden. Um, reticulated pythons, all the the big boys are forbidden. I think okay. the 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 biggest the biggest animals that we can keep here are the um, are blood pythons. They are the oh. the biggest ones. Yep. Okay. And carpets, of of course. Fantastic. What else do you need? Right? So, sorry? <laughs> what else do you need if you can keep ball pythons, that's right. blood pythons, that's right. for carpet me, pythons, for me, con- condros? For, yep. yep. For me, condros <laughs> are enough. <laughs> is, that the only, is that the only species only, that you keep? Yep. Yeah. Yes. Right yeah. now, I only keep condros. I'm very focused right now in, in condros. How I many animals... Sorry. Uh, go ahead. You've kept what? Uh, I'm telling you, uh, I have kept some carpet pythons too, and some colubrids. Uh, I have had a small colubrid colony, and I I, I produce some some hybrids with corn snakes and uh, milk snakes and tieries. Uh, I mixed all that that stuff together, and I produced some pretty cool hybrids. Hmm. Um, I have had some carpet pythons and diamond pythons, but um, my real my real love are condors, and uh, I try to keep focused on that. It's better for me. Yeah, nice. Well, you've got a beautiful collection, and and your housing, and and all that. I've, I've seen pictures. How many animals are you, are you currently keeping? Uh, currently, I have eleven adults. I don't have a a big collection. I I try to keep the the quality and not the quantity. Um, sure. I have a, I have eleven eleven adults. I have four animals from 2016 from Mosaic and Irubilo. Uh, and I have 13 babies from from this year. Oh, and I have two beautiful mosaic kids from 2017, from last year. 
So I have, I don't know, 20, 20, more than 20. How many maybe, clutches maybe does Mosaic? How many clutches has Mosaic sired? Has he sired two clutches? No, three, three clutches. Three. The first clutch, the first clutch in 2016, with Euro uh, It's the clutch that produced Halloween and Jackpot. Uh-huh. I think you guys uh, yeah. know know these these animals. I, uh, you right. guys are talking about uh, old back things. Old back. How many should we old back? Right on the banter, uh, so mm-hmm. I think we should all back them all because I saw jackpot. Every time I every time every time I see one picture of that animal, I almost kill myself. But life goes on. <laughs> well, if life it's any on. consolation, if it's any consolation, I like Halloween better. I think. Francesca, don't take the right pictures of that female. That's why we love Halloween. <laughs> and I hope to to never see a great picture of Jackpot. That will be cool for me. But they are pretty, well, what, pretty awesome. Amazing animals, for sure. For sure. Well, while, while we're on the subject, why don't you tell us a little bit about Mosaic, since that's kind of... your The condors that you produce are very unique looking. There's not... Uh, another, uh, you know, line of animals that look like yours. Buddy would know better, but, you know, maybe like the computer chondro, yeah. pixelated uh, exactly. lines like that. So why, why don't you tell us a little bit about Mosaic and, and and kind of, you know, his offspring and just tell us a little bit about that stuff. Okay. Uh, you you talk about computer chondro. Uh, what, lots of people think that, this line is from, it's a, a new branch of the calicos. But uh, this is an all new stuff. This is 100% European. There's no, there's no American blood in, the, in, this, in this line. Uh, Mosaic have, has been produced in, in Austria uh, by Philip Thunhoistin in 2013. And, and he came from an unusual pair of uh, island uh, mite faced male named Krypton and a female yellow mite faced called Black Rain. Uh, and this animal have a, has a, a pretty nice story because the breeder sold six babies to a Slovenian, to a, to a, a Slovenian keeper called Alice Mlinar for. 200 for 200 euros each baby. Oh, so wow. the first the first price of mosaic is 200 200 euros. <laughs> and uh, yeah, incredible. And uh, the baby that baby turned to be amazing. Uh, also, Alice keep the animal for some time, and one day I saw a picture of a maroon nail entering the antigenic color chains on Facebook and. That baby was changing some scales direct to full black. And no other color is showing at that time. Uh, I thought that was a pretty unusual and different. And I asked Alice if he has any interest to sell me that animal. Of course, he, he refused. But um, we agree to talk about that if he decides to sell the animal. 
the the animal continues to to change, and I always posted some pictures from time to time, and the animal was turning better every every time I he posted a new a new picture, and I'm completely crazy about this animal. It's <laughs> an all new stuff. It's completely new, completely different. It's it's like it's like having dream or the computer condo or one of the founders or the, the founder male of the lemon tree. It's it's a an old new stuff to start something new. Uh, right. and one day one day when I when I start my my working com- my, my computer at work and I open Facebook uh, the first thing on the screen is always selling the animal. So mm-hmm. I thought, <laughs> damn, I need to hurry to be the first one and catch this animal. And the post have one minute before I saw that. So I, found, I found, fortunately, I was the first and I get the animal. How old was and how old was the animal at that time? How old was at that he? time? Uh, two years old. More or less two years old. It's okay. the it's in the in the peak of the ontogenic color change. Is uh you have a an orange uh, orange color with some right. black scales. Not not some. It you have a lot of black scales, a lot of yeah. black scales, and uh, the most impressive is the. The red scales, the bright red scales that the animal have, it's totally insane. It's totally different. Um, I bought the animal. Hey Pedro, do, I, Pedro, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt, yes, but do you know me. what the other, do you know what the other clutch mates ended up looking like? His his siblings? Uh, they are pretty regular. The ones that I that I have seen, they are pretty regular. Okay. Uh, green with some mic phasing. Not, nothing okay. like. Like mosaic, no, nothing like. Okay. The breeder okay. have have made some other clutches with mosaic's father and with some 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 females related to his to his mother, but uh, they have they are melanistic animals, but nothing like like mosaic. I think he's a one of a kind. It's it's a, an odd on odd. Animal, it's strange. Okay. Hmm. Yep. So, I bought a, I bought Mosaic as a female. Oh. And okay. His first name is Calopsia. And when I received the animal, uh, from from M, some some good friends pick the animal, at the at the show in Germany and bring bring the animal to Portugal. Uh, the animal is. Is in shed, and in this first shed, they have two huge sperm plugs. So I need to worry to worry to to change the name because I present the animal as a female and as Caloxia. So I decided to to mm. change to change the name. So this is it's the story of, of mosaic and. Uh, in 2016, with less than three years old, uh, I tried to breed with him, uh, and I choose 
one pretty nice female called Yerubailo. And mm-hmm. I put the I put I put mosaic in its enclosure. And one hour after that they are breeding. So he is less mm. than three years old, but it's a it's a breeding machine. <laughs> nice. It's amazing, amazing. It's an amazing male. Um his first clutch was in 2016 with that female, uh, and I get nine babies. Uh, one of the babies is Halloween, Jackpot, uh, Friday 13, Dark Shadows, all that anim- all that crazy animals that you you guys have seen in the in Facebook and MVF are all all come from that that clutch. Uh, and the what female was the fe- is uh, yeah the, the female the, what was what, what was the female the female is a uh, an F one letter type uh, from two wild caught animals uh, she she came she came from um, a German a German breeder and came from a, a mixed clutch not an all maroon clutch but. All the babies, all the maroon babies are pretty, pretty dark. So I decided this could be a, a pretty, a pretty cool, a pretty cool pair. And so she was, to be. she was, she was a maroon baby. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Uh, after that, that pair, I decided that I need to to know if mosaic is is or not. Uh, a, a dumb red animal. So I decided to to pair him with a yellow nail female. And um, I choose one of my 2011 babies from my first clutch. Uh, now, uh, it's a Arubiak female. Uh, she's daughter of my first animal of my biak that I bought from that from that importer. Uh I have a I have had a very small clutch of seven or eight eggs. And I get six babies, all maroon babies. So Wow. Mosaic is, is a, a dumb red male and it's awesome because this is not pretty to say but I hate yellow nails. <laughs> Matt, Matt Morris is rolling over right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Matt Morris, uh, it's a yellow fan for sure. But um, I hope. Pedro, I, I, hope would, I would have to. I would have to say hate is an awful strong word when you're talking about a yellow neonate. Yep. Yep. Maybe maybe you Not, just dislike. It, yep. It's 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 more like that. It's more like that because I love condors, <laughs> all of them. I love all of them. Yeah, it's a, a, a heavy, a heavy word to describe, describe that, for sure. Uh, but as I tell you, uh, I prefer to only produce uh, red ones and especially dark ones. It's my my main goal. And with mosaic, it's easy because you only produce red babies. Uh, from those babies. 
the, from the 2017 babies, they are starting the the ontogenic color change. And I, I posted one one of my old bags. I only I only old bag two of of those animals. Uh, I posted one last week, I think, in the MGF group, and he that that animal is it reminds me a lot of the the ontogenic color change of his father. Uh, lots oh, nice. of black scales. Yes, pixelated black scales, and um, an orange main color. I think that baby is going to be a pretty special animal too. So let's see what happens. And I I sold three to um, a, a breeder in Czech Republic. I hope to not see another jackpot on that animal. <laughs> because I I sell them I sell them unchanged so let's see what happens. Oh. And this year yeah. this year I think you guys have seen my my pair with mosaic from this year. Yes. I put yep it's the some some people call call that pair the epic pair. Let's see how epic the pair is. Uh, I only got three babies. I have had some complications with the incubation, uh, but these 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 three babies are are completely insane. I never I never saw animals like 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 that before. How one old especially, are the babies? Uh, they are one 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 month old or one and a half months old. Nothing more than that. Okay. Yeah. Um, they are completely amazing. Uh, they, they look like calico calico babies, but mm. the um, but uh, the the pattern is not um, a calico pattern. It's different. It's um it's a very potent blood from from both sides of the of the parents. So. I don't know even what to expect from that babies. They are too incredible. I don't know. No. We just need can't to, wait. to wait and see. Yep. Yeah. Can't can't wait to can't wait to see them. Have they? Yep. Uh, are they being established? Have, have they eaten? Yep. Eating yeah. and yeah. shedding. Uh, all my all my mosaic babies are pretty easy to to establish. They are great feeders. They are almost of them are first sight feeders, so it's a wow. pleasure to to establish nice. animals like that. Yep. Yes, it's it is. Pretty, <laughs> pretty, pretty, pretty amazing. Yep. Very, very, very nice, Pedro. Um, so, Pedro, you actually visited uh, Sicondo keepers in the in the states uh, a few years back, correct? Yep. Yep, okay. I've been in the States two so, times. Yep. Okay, good. So, you know, how are things uh, as far as keeping chondros in Portugal versus what what you experience here in the U.S.? How like is husbandry different? The the equipment that's available for you how how is that different on the in in Portugal as opposed to here into the U.S.? 
Uh, well, uh, my first time in the U.S. was back in 2010. And I, I spent one week at the United States to visit. I only be there to visit and to learn from the, the U.S. breeders. And I've been at the Conroe Fest at Greg Stephens, too. And um, the, the keeping method, uh, when compared to the Portuguese methods, are totally different. Uh, we are a pretty, you have a pretty young community here. And um, we don't have the, 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 the knowledge that you guys have. We are 20 years back or more because... If you check back the the pedigrees, troopers start to to develop the keeping methods more than thirty years ago, and you guys have all that knowledge to to start something. We don't have that, and um, uh, the the European methods are totally different. Uh, all the people used to to, to have substract and natural branches, natural plants. And in the U.S., the, the keeping methods are more sterile. And when I visit the, the U.S. in 2010, I, I tried to, to learn the, the, the methods and absorb all the information that I can. And I, I start to change my, my keeping methods. And right now, compared to what I have when I started, it's totally different. I keep my animals in an almost sterile environment, and I, I remove all the, um, all the substracts. I, I still have natural branches. It's the only mm -hmm. natural thing that I, that I have in my in my cages, all the other things are sterile. I use, I use paper towels. Uh, I think it's the best way. It's clean and it's easy to, easy, easy to clean and it's pretty good. And when I, when I visit, um, when I visit Craig Stephens at the Condor Fest, well, I, I don't know if you guys have been at, at the at the lab, as they call yes. back in, back in that days, and he don't he, he don't have nothing in, inside the inside the cages. Only only a PVC tub with some PVC branches, and he used to clean the the cages with a hose. So right. more sterile than that, it's impossible. So I tried to adapt my my keeping method to the to the American method, and I'm pretty happy because I've lost some some animals in the um, in the past with some um, severe respiratory infections, and since I changed my method to the this almost sterile method, I. I almost cut off the, the the respiratory infections. So good. To be honest, the the tests that I made to the sick animals, lots of them show soil bacteria 
So, in my opinion, the animals get the the bacteria, the bacteria, bacteria that um, that make make them sick from the the soil of the natural plants and from the substrate. I used to have co- cocoa almost, and mm-hmm. since I removed that, no no more no more respiratory infections. Right now, I only That's have good. one. I only have problems with breeding females. So okay. the the difference is pretty obvious for me. I don't know how the the other the other keepers work because we don't have um, a close a close uh, community as you guys have in the United States. Uh, as I say, it's a very young community. We don't have people breeding in Portugal. I think we only have three people breeding chondros since 2009. Um, and the community is, is growing slowly, but it's growing. But there's a lot of people that have one animal or two animals, and they are just collectors, uh, and they keep the animals or themselves and don't show the animals up and don't don't try to to make a connection with other people. It's it's different than than in the United States. But I think okay. I think all the countries in Europe work this way. So in my in my opinion, if you want to make part of a community, you need to make part of the American community. It's the 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 only community of condo keepers and breeders in the world for me is the the American the American one. Well, we're glad to have you. That's for sure. Yeah, Thank right. You. I appreciate that. I appreciate <laughs> that. Uh, in 2013, I get back to the United States in my honeymoon with my wife. <laughs> uh, and I I spend I spend one one day with Christian Stewart. Uh, oh, nice. Uh, for me, Christian is the is the the actual godfather of Condros. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's like uh, he's like my my mentor. Your every mentor, time that yeah. I have any, yep. Every time that I that I have questions or something like that, I I call him. And uh, I tried to adapt my method to the to the the barn method, and it's a, a pretty sterile method. And I'm pretty happy to to keep my animals this way right now. Yeah, Buddy knows uh, Christian better than I do, um, but I've met Christian. I've been to the to the barn. I've seen his techniques and uh he's got a tremendous amount of of knowledge um about yep. about chondros so you picked a good mentor yep, yep. for sure i did sure i did yep. he's a, a a great person to to deal with yep i agree very 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 personable very likable person yep you like to stay on the background but he never refused to to help you, and it shows a lot of what kind of person he is. 
And the barn, the barn for me is like heaven. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's like being, being heaven. Yep. Yeah. Well, um, Pedro, you told us obviously about um, mosaic. Are you breeding any other males besides mosaic? Yep. Uh, this year I got a, a clutch from two blue lineage animals. Uh, one of the animals called Ashitaka. It's my male. He came from uh, a male called Barney. Barney is a full sibling of Zeus and oh. ladies from 05188 and 05086. So it's a, a very potent blue blood. And um, his mother is a, an Aru type female called Betty. The animal comes from Germany, from a very good friend called Paul Krush. Um And I mix that male with, um, with my female Curtis. Curtis comes from Joe Montini, joint pair with Joe Janovitz. Hmm. Uh, I love Joe Janovitz. His jokes are amazing, just to mention this. Yes. Uh, uh, Curtis, how, did you Curtis that, how did you get that animal? How did you get that animal? In 2013, I visited the U.S., as I, as I told before, and I visited Joe Montini. Um, and Duffman, have a, Duffman is the, the, the father of, of Curtis, and I checked the, the pedigree of that male, and the pedigree is totally amazing. Yeah, I, uh, I have one, a, I have an I have an animal from that same pairing. Okay, from Duffman and Chigirl. Yes. It's it's amazing, and the combination yeah. of the of both are amazing, and you see that blood is pretty pretty important because our girls have a, a blue sibling. Uh, Luna is one of the most amazing blue animals of the actuality. Actually, it's one of the best best blue females alive, in my opinion. What do you think, Bill? So, so you're you're breeding those animals now, or they produced for you last year? No, they produced. I have ten babies. Oh, wow! Awesome. I have ten babies. Yep. Uh, all an all maroon clutch. Um, they are not so easy to establish like my mosaic babies, <laughs> but uh, I think the the blue wine ones are a little bit stubborn to feed, but yeah, <laughs> it's not uh, a problem of myself. It's a worldwide problem, I think so. Um, but I'm pretty happy now. I have some amazing babies from that clutch, pretty dark babies with some amazing patterns. And how old um, are those? How old are those animals, Pedro? They are two and a half months old. Okay. Two and a half months old. Yep. Uh, I expect to to get some my blues from from this clutch. And probably are you gonna, some. Are you going to keep them all? 
or are you going to sell I'm some? Going to, <laughs> I'm going to keep only four. Uh, I, I'm almost sure that I will sell the, the blue ones. It's always the same thing here. But, um, <laughs> but let's see. I hope to have one high blue or one true blue from this clutch. Uh, I, I asked, one time I asked Christian, how do, how do I will choose the babies? How do you choose your old bags? And he told me, choose the, the cooler ones, the, um, the, the, the ones that you like most. Uh, yeah, so I choose the, the the darkest the darkest ones, and um, let's see what happens because some blue babies come from pretty regular animals, and we don't we we don't know which ones to to hold back. So I have my fingers crossed for for some cool cool adults. From that ones that I that I choose. Let's see what happens. That's what makes it fun. That's what makes it fun, yep. right? Exactly. Yep. Exactly. That's that's what makes Condros so so cool. That that is the fun part of it. Exactly. So Pedro, do um, you know you sound like you have a sizable collection that you manage? Um, you know, being in Portugal, being in Europe, do you have uh, vets there that specialize in exotic uh, animals that you're able to uh, you know take your animals to for vet care or at least consult yep. with if you if you have a a problem? Okay. Yep, we have. What a, uh, it's. I don't have any in my in my city, but in Lisbon, okay. the 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 capital, we have some some good some good uh, vets. Uh, I used to to drive to to Lisbon when when I have any any issues with my animals. Um, it's not a it's not a big trip. It's a one hour trip, so it's not it's not bad at all. Okay. Uh, we have some very knowledgeable knowledge people there. Some pretty nice. Nice. Uh, okay. My on my first clutch, my the female got egg bounded, and oh, wow. uh, yep, the the vet the vet cut open the the female, and um, I thought that the animal will die. But he he got better, and from that she lived for more five years. Mm. So it's it's pretty good. You need to to have a a good vet to to solve a, an egg bomb. Definitely right. Yep. Yep. What about uh, equipment, Pedro? Do you find uh, you know you're able caging commercially available for you? Or do you have to yes, build yes, most of yes, your own we, stuff? Yeah. Uh, when I start, uh, I build my own cages. I still have. I still use two of that cages that I built back in 2006 
or so. Uh, I made that cages from plywood, and I paint that cages with uh, polyurethane paint, and they look like new today. Um, I only use that big cages. They are big cages with one meter wide. It's more than three feet. Um, one meter, 60, 60. So it's like three feet, two, two. It's a, it's a pretty okay. big cage. Uh, in that cages, I have two of my most prized animals and the only yellow animals that I have in my collection. Uh, one of those animals is one of my 2011 baby. It's the only baby that I have from that clutch because the, the mother of the 2017 babies died some months after the babies hatched. And I plan to keep this female uh, for as many years as I, as I can. And I don't even have any breeding project for her because she's my most prized animal. Uh, it's my number one baby that I have hatched. So he is like a pet. He's not a, a breeding animal at all. Uh, okay. In the other cage, I have my Iru female. It's the first documented chondro breed, breeding breed in Portugal. Uh, mm. And uh, it's a it's a, a very cool animal, and I I want to keep to keep her for some years too. And it's like my it's like the legacy, it's the the history of chondros from Portugal. It's a it's a young story, but I I want to to keep it alive. <coughs> Uh, I I used to um, to keep my my other animals in two feet two feet cubes uh, sixty centimeters cubes uh, it's um, it's the normal size for chondros I think you guys use the same size in the United States right, right. two feet yep uh, I breed in that in that cages too and I still have um, another type of cages it's from the same brand the brand is pro cages um, that cages that I use have 80 centimeters is almost three feet three feet wide and uh, I keep I keep the um, the breeding females in that bigger, bigger cages. Uh, and I right. have good success breeding in that cages too. Osterile, only keep the animals with paper towels and it's, it's easy. I, I like to keep it simple and clean. I think it's the, the best way with chondros. It's one of the, the secrets is to keep it simple and clean. Yeah, I think, you know, we've had a lot of successful breeders um, on the show, and everybody has subtle ways of doing things. Um, that's one of, you know, kind of our big messages is that there's no uh, right w one 
way that's that's right and other ways are wrong. But certainly a common theme with successful breeders um, is to have a, a, a very clean and simple uh, setup for the animals that they're working with. Yep. Yep. Um, I like to say, and I say that a lot of, lots of times, that there's not one right method. There's a lot of right methods. You just need to find the, your own method. And when you find right. your own method, you should keep that method. Yeah. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I start. Um, I start. Yes, yes. I, I was just going to kind of continue to go on with some of you. You discussed your, your caging, um, but maybe you can discuss just some of your other basic husbandry principles as far as you know, temperature and feeding, okay. what kind of prey items, frequency, spraying, habits, that kind of stuff, okay. Pedro. Uh, first of all, let's talk about spraying. Um, it's a very controversial, um, it's a very controversial conversation because I never spray my adults, not even in shed. Uh, in my opinion, the hydration, the animal needs to keep hydrated inside, not, not, not in the outside. A uh, well-hydrated animal will shed perfect without any humidity in the outside. Uh, right now, I have a, a ratio or something like eight good, good sheds to to one bad shed with this method. And when I, when I, when I, back in time when I sprayed, I had the, the same, the same ratio or, or, or worse. I think mm-hmm. I have more bad sheds with spraying than I have okay. right now without spraying. And, uh, uh, right now I, I'm in my control, control room and honey is, is drinking from, from from mm-hmm. her bowel. Nice. Uh, I think I Love think it. all my all my I think all my animals drink drink every night. Even my in, even my yearlings drink every night. Uh, my 2017 animals are are with this method, and I only I only spray that animals when they 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 start the the shed cycle. Mm-hmm. They are pre- doing, doing pretty good. They are doing pretty good. Pedro, how often do you provide fresh water? Do you change your water? Uh, I used to change water at least one a week, one time a week. Uh, right. I used the the Arling the, the wall method with some copper in the in the bowels, and uh, I started to use copper two months ago or something like that. And to be honest, there's a, there's a pretty, a pretty difference since I, I started using that. I don't see the, the water creating, um, some, some strange things in the, in the bottom. Uh, it's a, 
it's a pretty good method. And um, one thing is for sure, if the animal defecates, I change everything, water, and it's, everything is cleaned. But at last, right. at last, one 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 time a week, I change the I change the water. Now you for you hit on something. For, uh, yep. Uh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you hit on something about using copper with your water. Yep. Yeah, and I maybe use, you could uh, explain a little bit. I I had never heard of of anybody doing that until recently. I yep. think I heard it from Harlan Wall. Um, exactly. But maybe you I heard can, from you can I heard that you heard from Harlan. Yep. Uh, yeah, I use so, uh, I use uh, I use uh, copper wire from electric wire. The electric wire are are made of uh, high percentage copper, and I just cut um, a portion of copper wire and put on the put, put it on uh, on the bowels. It's simple as that. Yes, and it and the theory is is that copper uh, has antibacterial properties and will keep bacteria exactly. from growing in, in growing in in the water. Exactly. Exactly. It's simple and and it's effective. In my opinion, it's effective. But you don't interest. You, you you can keep the water for two or three weeks. It's 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 not it's not cool. At all, yeah. Uh, you need to change right. at least w- one time a week. Uh, it's okay. it's the better way. I heard some people that change the water almost daily, with yeah. a big collection and with um, the kind of work that I have. I work something like twelve hours a day. I can't spend one or two hours right. changing water waters every, every day. day and make yeah. make makes no sense. Yeah. And right. to be honest, uh, buddy, let me tell you, I hope your your clutches are easy feeders because you will be <laughs> crazy in two two or three months if they are stubborn. <laughs> because I only have thirteen, and uh, they give me lots of work to keep them always clean. Because they used to defecate almost every day. I feed. I, I'm right now. I'm feeding the the babies once once a week, but uh, they defecate every two days, for sure. Every two days for sure. And I'm completely yeah, crazy about. True. I'm completely crazy. I'm completely crazy about cleaning, and everything needs to be perfect here. So, I spend my lunch times cleaning. Cleaning babies, <laughs> and uh, I, I hope to my adults don't don't defecate because I need to to clean the clean uh, the cages of the adults at night. So they are pretty they are pretty dirty. The babies are pretty dirty. Yeah. So you don't want to take care you don't want to take care of fifty babies, Pedro? Not at all. <laughs> I think my I think my my number is thirty, more than thirty, and I will I will die. I will I, I will I will go I will go crazy. Yep, and for sure my wife will leave me. <laughs> I bet so. I bet so. 
He's a very patient. We have lots of patients, but with 30 babies, she will leave me. Yes. Understood. Yep. <sighs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I I heard you. I heard your your deep breath. <laughs> he's he's probably feeding babies right now during the show. I am not. <laughs> I bet so. I bet so. I bet so. I I I feed all my babies before the show. Uh, you did. And right now I spent something like ten minutes to to feed all the the thirty babies. The thirty oh, babies. That's nice. Not thirty. It's thirty. 30 yeah. Not thirty. Yeah. Okay. When they are established, it's uh, it's the the coolest part to feed to feed them. Yep. Once uh, you're I, through that the challenge, life is yep. easier. Yep. So Pedro, how Pedro, do you establish what? babies? Okay. Sorry. Um, how how are you establishing your babies? Oh, first of all, <laughs> when they hatched, I hope they accept a a, a, a pinky by their own. First, I I offer a a warm pinky like everyone does, and I crossed all my fingers. Of my hands and my feet too, I'm all all crossed. Uh, and when they don't accept, I try to I try with cheek cheek down with some baby cheek feathers. Uh, it's a pretty effective technique too. Mm -hmm. uh, and when they don't accept, the pinkies which. With the, the the baby chicken the baby chick feathers, I use the 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 pinky head method. I learned that from Marlene Wall, and that method it's it's a no-brainer method. They need to eat because the pinky head have the perfect shape for the baby's mouth. They can't spit the the pinky head, so. They they can they can spend something like three hours, but they will follow the the pinky head. In my opinion, some babies don't have the the swallow reflex when they when they born, and with with some pinky heads, they they start to to develop that that reflex. It's my it's my opinion about that. Right, right. How do you guys used to establish your babies? Um, I, yeah, I start with you know I, I do the same. I start with warm pinks, and um, I used to be I used to hold out with uh, using the chick fuzz for a few weeks, but now I kind of go to it pretty quickly. If um, you know. I just feel that, you know, why wait a couple more weeks if, if I can get them started and then hopefully get them off of chick scent. So I go to chick scent pretty quickly. 
and then for the you know the babies that like to strike but they don't like to wrap the the pinky up um i uh you know i i do the same thing you know tim marsh taught me the the pink head method years ago and um and another thing he taught me was uh using mouse tails or you know i guess hopper tails and uh you can you know kind of get those two items once they kind of figure out i guess the you're offering food and they figure out how to swallow it and get, and get it down then uh you know usually they within a you know within a few feedings they they, they make the turn and go on the full pinkies and all yep. that stuff and that's pretty much how I do it yep. and I've and then I've got uh I got some other stuff I I will try to send with later on down the road if I feel it's necessary yep maybe you can try that this year with all with all that maybe you have <laughs> you, will, you, will, yep. you will have some stubborn for sure oh no doubt it'll be all the ones uh, I like I think Yep. I think the most frustrating thing for a, a control breeder is when the, the 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 baby grabs the pinky, makes the constriction, and we we look the other way, and something like ten minutes after that, they lose the interest, and you need to start all yep. over. Yeah. Yep. Yep, it's that's so very, very frustrating. frustrating. Uh, yeah, they almost make me cry. When you spend <laughs> something like three hours and you are totally exhausted and you think, God damn, I need to go to go back. I need to I need to sleep to to work tomorrow, and it's so frustrating. It's the most frustrating uh, about chondros, in my opinion, is to feed the barn babies. Yep. Do you Pedro? I think do you attempt do you attempt to feed them before their first shed? Uh I, I don't used to do that. Uh the first time I do that it's 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 this year. We turn off the babies from mosaic and honey. Uh that baby born with seven or six grams, it's a pretty small baby. And yeah. The siblings shed, and I feed the siblings, and I thought to myself, uh, this one needs to get some weight to enter in the in the shed cycle because two weeks after 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 hatching, it don't show any signs of of shed cycle. So I I present the pinky. He grabbed the pinky at first sight, uh, and yeah. he shed last week. After three three meals, he shed. Uh, I talk about that with Christian, and he tells me to not do that. But I think this time I made the right choice. But uh, I have heard some stories about people that feed the the babies before shed and some of them die. So I yeah. don't want to to repeat to repeat this but this time it works and I'm happy with that. And it's one of you... my Yes, yes. I was just gonna ask Buddy if he had heard that about um feeding 
babies before their first shed and then having the baby die. Have you heard that, buddy? I haven't, but I know um, I used to, you know, you know, 10, 12 years ago, I was, you know, anxious to get the babies to feed until I'd start working them uh, pre-lay shed. And I actually found that just because an animal ate before it shed, oftentimes didn't guarantee it would eat after it shed. So I just kind of Agreed. like, you know, I'm not even going to bother them until after, the, until after they're shed. And so I give them that time to kind of, you know, get settled in and, you know, yep. get, get their shed under them and, and, and then work them from there. It's yeah. interesting you say that because the the poorest feeding baby that I'm still working with from my last clutch ate before its first shed, and then it's just been a terrible feeder since then. Hmm. I have had that before. For side yeah. feeders, that turned to be stubborn mm-hmm. since that. Yep. I have had two animals doing that before. Interesting. Yep. Do you, um, Pedro, do you usually feed your babies at night or during the day? Uh, I used to feed my babies at night with um, with uh, a not potent white uh, uh-huh. just to see what I'm what I'm doing and never right. point the light to the to the babies. Uh, but I, I always, I, I always feed my animals at night, all of them. Okay. Babies, adults. Sometimes I regret to feed my adults at night because the feeding response is very aggressive, and right. um, they, they tend to to hit, to hit the the branches, and it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not good. Yes. But um, I only have time at night. During the day, I'm working, and I only have the Sundays free, and the Sundays is to spend with my my daughter and my wife. Sure. So I need to I need to to feed the animals at night. Yeah, I um, I think, and this is something that Buddy taught me when establishing babies is is that oftentimes, for whatever reason, babies will actually eat better during the day. And so I've started um, establishing my babies when I'm able to. And it, for me, it's usually like a, a Saturday morning. Um, I'll try to feed babies yep. then. The ones that don't respond in the, in the, uh, or in the morning or during the day, then I'll, I'll try to feed them at night. But uh, I've, had, I've, had a good, um, I've had a good response with feeding babies during the day. I never tried that before. Never. Yeah. But it's a uh, it could it it could be it could be effective. Uh, when I have more stubborn, I will try that for sure. Yeah. Because you you still feed all your babies during the day, right, buddy? Yes, I do. Yeah. Yep. And you feed sure your adult. I, uh... And you feed your. You feed your adult at night, right? Yes. Yep. As, as, we, as we tell, as we tell before, there's a lot of effective methods, not only one. Yes. Right. Yep. 
And well, buddy, should we? To... Uh, go ahead. Uh, you guys used to feed your adults with, with only with mice, or you guys use rats too? Go ahead, buddy. Um, I used I used to use uh, rats pretty much exclusively. As soon as I had young condors that could take uh, rat pinks, I just switched them over. But then I stopped doing it, and I do uh, mice. But then my my rodent guy has had trouble this past year with. Uh, with his mouse colony and he's um, been unable to fulfill my needs for extra large uh, mice for my bigger animals. So I actually, he also breeds the uh, African sulfur rats. So I recently uh, picked up a small quantity of those just to see how I would like them. I mean, the chondras eat them okay. They don't seem to notice a difference. So, um, they might, you know, I, so otherwise I have he- just, just mice. I have heard some people that use, that have used software that have had some serious problems to turn the animals to eat, uh, rats and normal mice. Mm. They don't accept so they- the other types of, of preys when they start to eating soft first. Gotcha. Well, I, I hope that's not the why. case for me. <laughs> no, I hope so. Yeah. Maybe we should get some start scenting with African soft fur for the babies. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, that might be an idea. I don't have a I don't have a availability of soft fur here in here in Portugal. Uh, yep. But uh, well, I. Um, do feed my um, I do feed my adult females rats on occasion. I I, I vary their diets uh, between uh, mice and they'll get uh, the occasional small rat as well. Yep. I feed my I feed all my my breeding females my adult females with with rats only rats. Mm-hmm. A rat with. See, 50, 60 gram rats uh, every two weeks. Uh, I used to feed every every week, but I I changed that to to two weeks because some of my females are getting too too big and too big. and chubby. Yep, and uh, it can't be problematic for breeding, in my opinion. Too much fat. Can 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 make some problems, uh, but the males I only feed my males with with mice, with uh, mm. with big mice with 45 grams or something like that. Right. From for, from 30 to 45 grams, my adult males. Hmm. They don't need as many fat as the as the females. They don't need to produce eggs, so they will be fine with that that kind of place, in my opinion. Do you tend to feed your females a little more heavily prior to the breeding cycle to get some fat reserves on them? Yep. Or yep. not? I do that. You do? Yep, yep. I do that, yep. yes. I do that. I used to start breeding... Uh, in uh, 
October. I introduced the, the mail in October or in the end of September when the, the weather permits that. Um, and I start to feed the females heavily two or two and a half months before the the breeding the breeding season and the introduction of of the male okay but um i used to to feed my females and males during the the breeding um mosaic uh can can eat every day if i want it he never he never he never stopped feeding not even in the, the breeding season. Uh, Ashitaka eats too. He's a little bit stubborn sometimes, but he eats during the, the breeding season too. And do you feed your females while while they're breeding? Will you offer them? Will you uh, offer them food? I, yep, I offer them food every two weeks. I I I put the the male back in in his cage. I feed the female, and two or three days after that, I reintroduce the male. Very good. What about uh, temperature cycling, Pedro? Do you uh, do you alter the the, the temperatures well, uh, uh, during the the regular season? I don't use I don't use nitrop uh, any dry, uh, any di- nitrop at all. Uh, I keep my temperatures stable during day at night. Um, in September, when I when I start the introduction, I drop the the temperatures step by step, uh, and I don't use to to make a a big a big nitrop. I only I only use nitrop. During day I use the same temperatures all 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 over the year. Even in okay. the um, in the bre- in the breeding season. And I drop right. at night something like six degrees Celsius. Um I use uh, I used to have a thirty two degrees hot spot uh just just um just in the in the um, in the branch of the um, uh, of the of the heat panel right uh and and i dropped that that uh, temperature to 26 and not not more than that 26 sometimes 25 no more than that okay Okay. What, what is your ambient? What is your what is your ambient temperature in in your um, in your room, Pedro? Right now, I have something like twenty three degrees. But in the um, in summer, I get pretty high temperatures, uh, more than than thirty. Uh, in my in my city and in my region, uh, we have very very hot, very hot uh, summers, uh, with something like 
40, 40, 42, 42 degrees Celsius. It's more than than 100 Fahrenheit. Wow. Okay. It's uh yeah yeah it's a very a very hot area, and in the winter I have some some days with below freezing nights, so we have a pretty big gradient uh, during the the year. Yeah. Yep. We ha- in Portugal we have some amazing some amazing spots to. To breeding and keeping chondros, especially in the south, in a region called Algarve. It's a, a region that have a, it's very near to, to, to the Mediterranean. And okay. um, in that region, they used to have pretty stable temperatures with a very low radiance. A very small gradient during the, the the year. And you think that that is uh, helpful or useful in breeding chondros to have that kind of stability in temperatures? Uh, for breeding, I think it's not the not the best because uh, I see some pretty good activity with storms and yeah. In my region, we we have to we, we used to have some some storms during during the winter, and it's in my opinion it's 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 pretty good to to breed the animals with yes. that with that storm front. Yep. Yeah, I I agree. Yep. Do you um? When you're breeding, Pedro, do you introduce the male into the female's enclosure? Yep, always. Okay. Always the yep. male in the in the female enclosure. But is that what you do? As well? Yep, yep, always. Yeah. For the most part, sometimes I get um, females that are super aggressive, and I'm a little concerned about the safety of the male, and I will. Um, you know, change it up and take that female and put her into the male's cage to kind of take her off her, I guess, yep. territorial stance of, you know, running the cage and try to decrease the likelihood of uh, some injuries from the female grabbing the yep. male and thinking I she's going to eat it. Yep. <laughs> I always introduce the male during the, during daytime. Yes. Yep. To, to avoid... The, <laughs> yeah, to avoid the feeding, the feeding response of the female. I have some aggressive, some aggressive females too. And you, Bill, how how you do that? I do the same. Always the male into the female uh, cage. And one of the reasons, I mean, I think just for me is I keep my my like you do, Pedro. I keep my breeding females. In because they're bigger, I keep them in a bigger cage, so it just makes sense, you know, not to try to cram a big female into a small male's cage or cube or tub. So that's that's exactly. the main reason I I do it. I, I you know, so yep. that, it just makes sense to do it that way. Exactly. Exactly. Now, Pedro, what do you do? Um, 
What do you do after, let's say you've noticed that a female is ovulated? Um, what do you do? Do you alter her, then alter her temperatures, any to, to provide more heat uh, after the ovulation? Well, uh, or, or? I used to to increase the, the temperature when the, the female ovulates and step by step, I reached the, the, the same temperatures that I have during the, all the year. And I, I re- removed the night drop uh, three weeks, three weeks after, after all the ovulation. Okay. Yep. And um, when I know one of the, uh, go ahead. No, tell me, tell me. No, I was just gonna uh, just say one of the things that um, we wanted to talk about was, and this was something that, again, I learned from Buddy was, after the female is ovulated, to to soak her, to hydrate her, um, yep. you know, maybe once a week from the time of yep. ovulation before egg laying. Is that something that you do as well? Yep. I do that. Uh, this year, with Curtis and Honey, uh, I soak. I soak him every two days. Oh, every, every two, days. two days. Okay. Yep. Yep. Every two days. Wow. Okay. Every two days. Yeah, I, I actually was. Uh, that's that was a Christian Stewart idea that was passed on to me. So I, I can't take uh, credit for that. <laughs> passing that on to you, Bill. That was a Christian. Christian thing that he passed on to me, which I still use. I think you know makes good sense and works really, really well. And um, yep. you know, I th- keep I those females some, hydrated. Some, keep yep, them hydrated. Some females, yes. Some females that have egg bounds because they have they are not well hydrated, in my opinion. So soaking the females. It's a pretty pretty good way to to, to keep them hydrated and avoid egg bounded females. Agreed. Yeah, I agree. Help. All my females, all my breeding females, when soaked after before after after ovulated, they always drink, always drink. Every two days mm-hmm. they drink from the from the the water in the in the box. So they 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 turn more lethargic, and they don't drink from the bowel. They and they start to be active, uh, trying to find a, a nice place to to lay the eggs. But they don't drink. They are active but don't drink. And right. soaking the females, it's a it's a pretty good technique to 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 put them to drink. What else yeah, I do agree. you do? Uh, yeah, you know, one of my theories is, is even before they start cruising around like that, they just don't want to leave that heat. They, uh, you know, they want to just absorb that that heat, and that means, yep. you know, perhaps not going to the water bowl if they have to leave that heat so yeah i I think there's lots lots of good reasons to to soak them uh and really not any bad ones unless you have some kind of accident yep definitely 
And Pedro, what else? What, what else do you do? Um, you know, uh, as far as the, nest box for the for the egg laying, uh, I used to to have a, a nest box. Uh, it worked pretty well for me, but with honey this year, well, this is a with honey. I feel so much weight on my shoulders with this pair that I try. I, I, I'm I'm freaked out and I get pretty anxious. Uh, and I remove everything from the the, the cage and I put put honey in a um, in a plastic tub with um, with a towel. Uh, because I'm afraid to to have problems or or she laid from the she lays from the from above the the perches and drop the the eggs right and this right. is a a very important a very important clutch for me so I tried with um, a plastic box with a, with a towel. So you you essentially locked her in the nest box. Yep. Is that locked is that right? her? Yeah, you locked and, her. Yeah. And soak her every two days, so she okay. would be perfectly hydrated for sure. Right. Yep. I think it's a pretty good method, but I I still yeah. prefer to have a, a nest box. The female enter the nest box laid the, the eggs on the nest box. I think it's less stressing for the female, in my opinion, uh. than than being closed inside the, the box. Right. So when you do that, Pedro, uh, do you remove all of the perches or do you leave the low perch in? No, or I remove everything leave all- from the from the cage. Or, okay. or uh, you are asking when, when I... When I introduced the the egg box, the the laying box. No, I just was asking that if you if you removed everything, I didn't know no. if you left if you with, left the perches with, in with, or not. With the egg box, I just remove the the bottom perch because I need I can fit the the box inside the cages with that with that perch on, but okay. I I left the. Um, the the upper perch uh just um just to keep the the hot the hot spot for the female if okay. she wants to 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 get warm she have the the perch to get warm so you don't pull the perches out you leave the perches in no. and put the nest box yes exactly okay. I never had and that problems pretty before. pretty successful but, for you. Yes, pretty successful. Never had a problem. Good. But um, I don't have a lot of clutches. I I have something like five clutches. So on my own. So it's not it's not um, a well proved method, but. <laughs> <laughs> but, right. it's, but it's working it's work, for you. It, yeah, it's working for me. <laughs> awesome. 
Pedro, um, we're getting pretty close to being on the two-hour mark, and um, yep. I know it's very late or very early for you. I'm not sure which. So uh, I guess oh, we will – Almost four. Almost four. Okay. Oh, I boy. think we'll start to wrap, wrap, some, wrap some stuff up. Is there anything else that you wanted to uh, let, let our audience know, maybe some contact information Ooh. or – Anything like that? Uh, I'm pretty. I'm pretty excited with one thing. Uh, I have two animals from my 2016 pair from Mosaic and Revival heading to the United States. Oh, uh, really? I'm Ooh. pretty. Yep. I'm pretty excited with that. Uh, the animals go to a well-known, well-known keeper and breeder. Uh, they are going to to forest fanning. I'm pretty excited with that. Fantastic. Um, and I we were just yep. we were just talking about forest. Yep, I, I heard that. Uh, I hope forest could breed my my meal Friday Friday thirteen, which is which is lemon female. That needs to be one of the most amazing pairs. In my, so that's in my what opinion, you're, that's what you're sending over Friday the 13th. I'm sending far, Friday 13 and Dark Shadows, one of the most melanistic ones. So wow. I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited. Yep. So you're sending these over. The, you're sending these over uh, as a breeding loan. Is that correct? He hasn't no, purchased no, no, the animals. No, no, no. The animals are are forest animals. They they bought the animals. Oh. He He's purchased the animals. Excellent, yes, exactly. outstanding. That is that is it's very very my, good news. Yep, it's one of my main goals and one of my dreams is to have some of my animals in the in the United States, uh, and it's a dream come true because uh, seven years ago I try I'm trying to to buy my first animal from the United States. So I don't even think about sending my own animals to the United States. So this is more than a dream. Yep. Well, that it's gives me pretty, some hope of cool. that gives me some hope of seeing some potential mosaic and sickness blood together. Yep. One day. Yep. Yep. <laughs> it could it could be possible. Yes. You need to 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 ask for it for a baby. Yes, definitely. Yep. Yep. Um, I'm not able to deal with um, with the shipping, so Forest is making this happen. So I need to to thank to thank him for make this possible too. He's a pretty nice guy to deal with. Yeah, he is. I'm sure he's very very excited to have those animals in his collection. Yep. And I hope he I hope he bought some some nice some nice cages because <laughs> he have amazing <laughs> animals all inside tubs. They hey Forrest, if you are hearing me, you need to buy <laughs> some cages and forget the tubs. I didn't they know he kept all some food. nice cages. <laughs> I didn't know he kept all his condros in tubs. 
I only see tubs on on his videos, so I hope he gets some some cages for for the the conjures too. I'll make sure he listens to the show, okay? <laughs> I make sure. <laughs> I I will make sure too. <laughs> All right, my friend. It was very very nice to to speak with you, and thank you for taking uh, your time, especially uh, okay. in the inopportune hours of your day. It's my it's my pleasure and it's it's an honor for me to to be talking with you guys. It's it's uh, amazing for me. It's a pleasure. Well, 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 thank you for the compliment. That that means a lot to us. Okay. All right. Thanks again, Pedro. Get some rest. Okay, I will try. I'm pretty excited thank- right now. Lots of <laughs> lots of uh, the Condro talk. But yes. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well you did a great job. Thank yeah, you. Thank, thank you, you, Pedro. Thank it's you a, very it was much. a pleasure talking to you. Okay. Okay. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Yep. That went that went great, buddy. It Pedro did. Good guy. Yes it did. We Yes. Um, you know we off, off, uh, outside the studio, you know, we had all, each of us had expressed some concerns about maybe some communication issues, but um, it it was a, a great interview. The show went really, really well. Yeah, you know, anytime we set up these shows, especially when they're overseas like that, you know, he sounded like he was next door, and uh, his English was fantastic, and so. Yeah, couldn't have gone better. I think he relayed a lot of good information uh, to us and the listeners, so that's all we can ask for. That's it. You're right about that. All okay, right, Bill. Friend. So, uh, what's what's coming up for us? Any uh, any thoughts? Uh, as usual, I have absolutely no no thoughts on the matter. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, <laughs> I'm pretty uh, pretty much an uh, off the cuff kind of guy, but I'm sure you'll come up with something fantastic. Okay, all right, pressure's on. <laughs> you always do. That's it. Okay, all right, thanks, Bill. All right, buddy, have a good week. You too. All right, so this is a wrap for GTP Keeper Radio. Everyone, have a fantastic evening, and we will catch you on the next round. <laughs>